standing keep your hymn book please turn to number 679 as we read from the gospel of luke the account part of the account of the birth of christ 679 i'll read the portions in the bold print if you'll read the portions in the regular print 679 entitled birth as we think about the birth of our lord and savior jesus christ 679 The word of God says in Luke chapter two, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Amen. You may be seated.
so much, ladies. Open your Bibles again, please, to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. John chapter 1, the story is told of a father who decided that Christmas was going to be different this year in his home. And he called a family conference and he challenged his family to be more disciplined in the management of their time during this busy Christmas season. They had to curtail excess uh, Christmas spending on gifts. He talked about better relations between the visiting relatives and a more congenial atmosphere around their home. And he brought his speech to a crescendo with his final rally cry. Let's make this the best Christmas ever. Well, his second grade son was sitting there listening to this and he uh, countered his dad's big motivational speech by saying, but dad, I don't see how we could ever improve on the first Christmas. Hmm. Wise beyond his years. Not sure how dad felt about his comment, but when you think about it, it's very true. Can improve on the first Christmas, can we? Look with me one final time in the Gospel of John, the first chapter. This morning we're going to be completing our Christmas series. We'll begin reading at verse 14. The Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of As of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now, I want us to spend a few minutes this morning thinking with you about this idea of what Jesus did in coming in the flesh. What Jesus did in coming in the flesh. And I want you to notice right away in verse 14, we notice that He joined us. He joined us. Look again at the opening words of verse 14. And the word... And you know by now the Word is the Lord Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the Christmas story. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when it says He became flesh, that does not merely mean that He was just given a human body. No, He became complete human. He identified with us. He became one of us. Now, He had no sin. That made Him different for sure. He was still God. He never stopped being God. That made him different. But here he is. He's all human, absolutely all human and all God joined together. And it says that he dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is very interesting. In the original, it literally has the idea of he tabernacled among us or he pitched his tent among us. You remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament? You remember the sacrifices and the most holy place and the holy place and the basin and all the different parts. All of that pointed toward the Lord Jesus. God's presence among the people that all pointed toward Jesus. The temple later on pointed toward Jesus. And here we have Jesus tabernacle, tabernacling, uh, tenting, pitching his tent among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And don't miss the significance of this grand truth, beloved. 
that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. We live in a dark world. Sin is all around us, but in the darkness step the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love what E. Stanley Jones once wrote. Look at, look at it with me. He said, the early Christians did not say in dismay, look what the world has come to. But in delight, they said this, look what has come to the world. That's a good perspective in our day in which we live, isn't it? Because we can very easily look around in dismay and say, look at what the world has come to. But beloved, this morning, stop for a moment and in delight, say, look what or look who has come to the world. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus joined us. He became flesh. He dwelt among us, which brings us to our second thought. He not only joined us, but in joining us, he graced us. He graced us. Look at the next part of verse 14. You know, sometimes when you get a gift, um, you end up being disappointed. You get your hopes up. Maybe you think it's this is exactly what you want. And you open that present up and you get disappointed. And all your dreams come crashing down. Nathan and Carol were out Christmas shopping on Black Friday. You ever Christmas shop on Black Friday? It could be very interesting, to say the least. Carol suddenly realized that Nathan hadn't been around her for a while. And they had planned a lot of stops on this Black Friday. You know, one of the things about Black Friday, you move from store to store to store. So she hadn't seen him in a while. So she called him on his cell phone. She said, where are you? That we still got a lot to do. And Nathan responded. He said, you remember the jewelers that we went into about 10 years ago? And you fell in love with that diamond necklace. And I couldn't afford it at the time. But I said one day, one day I would get it for you. And she's on the other end of the cell phone and she's listening. She began to get all choked up. And a tear slipped down her cheek. She said, yes. She said, I, I, I do remember that shop. He said, well, I'm in the gun shop next door to that. <laughs> I understand Nathan was never heard from again. I don't know what happened to him. Sometimes we get disappointed at Christmas time. We get disappointed with the gift that we give or the gifts that we did not receive. But that's never going to be the case with the gift we're talking about this morning. The greatest gift ever given, the Lord Jesus Christ. He truly graced us with his presence. And I want to show you in these next several verses some of the ways in which he graced us. There's so much here. We're only going to scratch the surface. But all the wonder we're going to behold. Look at the next part of verse 14 now. It says, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the glory of the Lord Jesus is mentioned here. Now, what does that mean? Well, we could talk about a couple of different things. We could talk about his glory when it comes to his moral glory. The fact that here he is, perfect God, perfect man, all God, all man joined in the flesh. And yet he was perfect in his life. His life was glorious. His character was perfect. Everything he did was perfect. He had a moral glory about him. Never sinned. Never did anything wrong. Now, never did anything that would tarnish his glory. We could talk about his moral glory. But then there are those who say, well, no, what this is talking about really is the glory that he displayed temporarily while upon the earth in his transfiguration. 
his transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 and 2 says it this way. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he, that is, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And so it may be that John's talking about his transfiguration where he let some of his glory uh, be displayed, if you will. He's the one who is full of grace, the one who is full of truth. He is grace. He is truth. And he has graced us with his presence. And then we notice verse 15, the next words. And these words are the words of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. And he says in verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was after me. Now, when you read that at first light and first glance, you may be confused because here's the question. How can he be after but before? Because that's what John the Baptist says. Look at the words again. He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. So if he's coming after John, how can he be before John? Well, it's real simple. We know that in the idea of the physical birth that Jesus came after the birth of John. So he was born later than John. But, beloved, he's preferred before John in his rank, in his prominence, in his position. Why? Because as John says at the end there, he was before me. How, what does that mean? Well, he's God. He's eternal. He's always existed. We've studied it already here in the Gospel of John in this series. And so what he's saying is, listen, Jesus was born after me, John says. He was born after me, physically speaking, but he's actually before me in his prominence, his position, his rank, his eternality, because he is God. And he's graced us with his presence, which brings us to verse 16. As we talk about it, the fact that he graced us, look at verse 16. It really comes to full fruition. And of his fullness, we have all received and for grace, for grace. Now, here's the question again. What in the world does this mean? Elmer Towns helps us. He said this means that whatever we need, whatever we need to perfect our character and complete our task for God, we receive from him. That is, he's sufficient. We get of his fullness. But I love the way that F.F. Bruce put it. F.F. Bruce said it this way. As followers of Christ, we draw from an ocean of divine fullness. Grace upon grace. One wave of grace constantly replenished by a fresh one. In other words, there's no limit to the supply of God's grace and what we need from him. Picture an ocean, if you will. You ever stood out on the, on the sand at the ocean on the seashore and just watched the ocean? I love to do that. Just to go out. If it's not too hot, I love to do that. <laughs> but just go out and, and just, it's amazing to me. And you look as far as you can see and all you see is the sea. And you watch the waves coming in one after another, after another, after another. You know, I've never... Stood there and said, well, I hope the waves don't give up or I hope there's, the waves don't run out. No, they're constantly coming and coming. That's a picture, beloved, of God's grace in our lives. Grace upon grace. 
One wave of God's grace. Another wave of God's grace. Out of the fullness of the Lord Jesus. What a picture we have here. What a picture of God's unending and inexhaustible grace. Let me ask you, you need grace today? I need grace every day. I need God's grace every day. And His limit, there is no limit. It's a limitless supply. Just as the ocean, as the waves come crashing in. But notice what it says in the next verse, beloved. Not only does grace come through Christ, but also truth. Look at verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want anybody to be confused by this verse. This verse is not pitting the Old Testament versus the New Testament. As one of the ones that I studied this past week said it, the law was not contrary to the truth, but it was not all the truth. <laughs> there was more to come. And you know what? When you think about this whole idea of Moses and Jesus, look at that verse again. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but there's a contrast there. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what does what does this mean? We have Moses here. We have Jesus here. We have this contrast. What does this mean? Well, A.W. Tozier helped me so much. He said the only contrast here is between all that Moses could do. And all that Jesus Christ can do. The law was given by Moses. That's all Moses could do. Moses gave the law. That's all he could do. But listen, Moses was not the channel through which God dispensed his grace. God chose his only begotten son to be the channel for his grace and his truth. For John witnesses that grace and truth comes through the Lord Jesus. So listen, here's what it means. All that Moses could do was command righteousness. That's what he did through giving the law. In contrast, Jesus produces righteousness. All Moses could do was to forbid us for sin. Do not do this. Do not do that. But listen, Jesus Christ came to save us from our sin. Moses could not save us. Only the Lord Jesus Christ is both our Lord and Savior. There was nothing wrong with the law, by the way. The law is perfect. It was the schoolmaster to show us our need of Christ, to bring us to Christ. Christ fulfilled the law. So all that Moses could do is give the law and give the commands and forbid the sin. But Jesus, who's full of grace and truth, he kept the commands. He fulfilled the law. He produced righteousness in us. He graced us with his presence, which brings us to verse 18, which reminds us that he graced us how? By revealing the Father to us. Look at verse 18. Stay with me a few more minutes. We're almost done. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. That is, he revealed, he showed God. And he showed the fact that God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of compassion. God is the God of grace and truth. He reveals the Father to us. Why? Because He's perfect man and perfect God joined in the flesh. We know that Jesus joined us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know in many, many ways the Lord Jesus graced us. But there's a final thought here, and it's this. We understand from this passage that He saved us. Drop down to verse 29. These are also words from John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. Verse 29, 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said these words. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You might be thinking if you've been here over the last several weeks. Oh, here we go again. Why, preacher, do you keep bringing the cross into the Christmas story? Well, friend, they go hand in hand. Uh, They go together. You really can't have one without the other. I love what missionary Amy Carmichael said. The cross always stands near the manger. The cross always stands near the manger. This is the reason that he came. He truly was the one who was born to die. Now, this was not hidden, by the way. This is the reason for his coming. This is the redemption plan. This is the beginning of that plan being played out. Listen to what the angel told Joseph. Back in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, listen to what the angel told Joseph before Jesus is ever born. Listen to what he tells him. Matthew 1:18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, so the virgin birth, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for. Do you remember the last part of that verse for what he will save his people from their sins? It wasn't hidden. It was the whole reason for him coming in the first place. The angel made that very clear from the get go when he spoke to Joseph. What did the angel say to the shepherds on the night of Jesus's birth? You go to Luke chapter two, verses 10, 11. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ. The Lord. You know, this morning, you probably awakened to a lot of wonderful gifts under a Christmas tree. An exciting time for sure. You've got young children at home. It's really exciting. Um, And then some of us never outgrow that. It's always exciting. You've got those Christmas gifts under the tree and maybe you've been shaking them and 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 seeing what's in them and maybe trying to 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 peek into them when nobody's looking. But this morning you finally got to open. I hope you did. Maybe you're maybe you have to wait a little bit longer, but you have all those gifts under the tree. But you know what? Someone said it so eloquently this past week. They said God did not put his present on a uh, God put his present on a tree. Not under a tree. God put his present on a tree, not under it. You see, the cradle and the cross are connected. God became a man so he could die in our place. And beloved, you make a grave mistake if you think that the baby born in Bethlehem so long ago is still in that manger. Because the Bible is clear, history is clear, that he grew, he lived a sinless, perfect life, he voluntarily died on the cross, he was buried, he had arose again victorious, and is at the right hand of the Father this morning. And beloved, I want to say something else to you today before we close up shop. This is not the end 
of a story. We move from the cradle to the cross and then to the crown. From a cradle to a cross to a crown. Do you remember what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1? I know these become familiar. You hear them year after year. Listen to what the angel said in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now listen to the next part. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Did you see it, beloved? Not only a cradle. Not only a cross, but a throne. The Lord God will give him the throne. You know, there's a vast difference between the first advent and the second advent. Or put another way, it's going to be a big difference between Christ's first coming and his second coming. Years ago, John MacArthur wrote it in poetic form. You may remember it, but it's a piece called Next Time It Will Be Different. The first time Jesus came... He came veiled in the form of a child. A star marked his arrival. Wise men brought him gifts. There was no room for him. Only a few attended his arrival. The next time Jesus comes, he will be recognized by all. Heaven will be lit by his glory. He will bring rewards for his own. The world won't be able to contain his glory. Every eye shall see him. He will come as sovereign king and Lord of all. Hallelujah. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come. The question today for you is this. Are you ready for his coming today? Have you received the wonderful gift of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you welcomed into your life, into your home and made him your savior and Lord? And if you have. And if you have. Today, why don't you thank him afresh and anew for the things we've talked about? Thank him that he joined us. Thank Him that He graced us. And thank Him that He saved us. The law was given by Moses. That's all He could do. But grace and truth came through Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Father, thank You for the truth that we've been able to study today here in the Gospel of John. And Lord, I know that we've only scratched the surface of all that's here. But Lord, we stand overwhelmed when we really stop to think about your grace and your glory and your mercy. And sending Christ, the one who's full of grace and truth for us. Father, I thank you for that ocean and those waves of grace that crash one after the other. Father, I pray if anybody listening to me right now has never received this wonderful, glorious gift, the Lord Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, I pray right now, your Holy Spirit to do a work in their heart, 
that you would help them to return from their sin and place their faith in Christ. And Lord, I know that we are gathered together and there are many in our midst to settle that long ago. And so, Lord, we want to stop today and we want to praise you and thank you afresh and anew that Jesus joined us. He became one of us, still God, but all man. And Lord, he graced us in so many ways. And Lord, thank you for saving us. For purchasing our pardon. For forgiving our sin. Thank you. That there's the cradle. And there's the cross. But also the crown. You are king of kings. And lord of lords. Even so come. Lord Jesus. Amen. And amen. Our closing hymn this morning. Number 93. If you need to invite Christ into your life, if you haven't done that yet, we'd love to help you with that. If you want to come and just kneel this morning and just pray and worship the Lord, we would invite you to do that. As we stand together and sing 93, it came upon the midnight clear. Number 93, let's stand together and sing. The altar's open. Mm-hmm.